Welcome back to A Real Page Turner with Donnie Granza and Mara Maros. Today we are going to talk about the book and the movie of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. So last week we did Jaws, which was more contemporary, and this week we're going to a more classic novel um, of Mice and Men. Welcome, Donnie. Well, welcome. It's good to be here. Happy to talk about books and movies some more. So, Of Mice and Men is a classic, and I think a lot of people had to read it in school. I don't remember reading it. I know my daughter had to read it. This is kind of the first time I've laid eyes on it in probably 20-some, 30 years. And Of Mice and Men was written by John Steinbeck in 1937. So, it's pretty old, and it's what's classified as a novella um, because it's short. But, you know, he wrote this you know, as a reflection of kind of the depression in the depression area, as most Steinbecks are, you know, you kind of have the dusty part of uh, California that you're looking at. So the reception of the book was was pretty strong. And we'll get into kind of where that stands today and kind of the challenges. But the book itself is a classic that is read in many schools by students of all ages. Yeah, it's been adapted for film and television uh, several times. There's two notable examples. The first came in 1939 with the movie starring uh, Burgess Meredith and Lunch. Jr. Uh, we're not going to be getting into that one. We're going to be talking about the more um, temporary one. Uh, it was from 1992. It starred John Malkovich in the role of Lenny and Gary Sinise in the role of George. And Sinise also directed and produced the movie. So it was kind of his little pet project. Uh, when the movie came out, it was not a financial success. It was kind of considered a uh, box office failure, but it earned great critical acclaim. It has a 97% score on Rotten Tomatoes. It debuted at the Cannes Film Festival, where Gary Sinise was nominated for the prestigious Palme d'Or Award. So, And it gained a following through the years, in the almost 30 years since its debut. Yeah, and I know this is the movie they show in schools, because my daughter read this book last year, and they showed the 1992 version with John Malkovich and Gary Sinise. Um, that's what they showed in school. So that seems to be the prevailing one lately to watch. So what did you think about, you know, the movie, the movie versus the book? I didn't, I had a hard time with this one because I didn't feel there was a ton of difference. I thought that the movie pretty closely followed the book for the most part, for the characters and the overall themes. And I mean, I didn't really find that they added any characters or took out any subplots. Um, you know, I felt it was pretty straightforward adaptation. I don't know if you'd agree. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree. You know, especially compared to Jaws last year, last week was pretty like it's jarring the you know the differences how this this one was for the most part pretty faith, faithful and i think now i know i'm the movie guy but i do think i i did like the book a little better but not a complaint i would say i wish it was like a little longer because it is a novella so it just kind of like wraps up pretty quickly it would have been interesting to see flesh it out a little more but such yeah. as that no, I agree. I think, uh, as usual, I like the book better. But I think that's probably because you got a better vision of the setting in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of the way they take John Steinbeck takes you into those opening paragraphs about the what it looks like and where they're coming from and the river and the hillsides and the banks. You kind of get a, a more feel, a better feeling for the setting and where it is than in the movie. Because I believe the movie opens up with a flashback of the 
woman who he has ripped her skirt that you don't hear about yeah. till a few more. You don't hear about till a few more pages in, but the movie kind of opens with that, which I do think was effective because you get while they're on the the run, for lack of a better word, or moving to a new opportunity because of Lenny being too handsy with somebody. So I do think you get that, but I do like the setting that is that is described in the book that you don't necessarily get so much in the movie. Yeah, I was re- I was just research on the book and the movie and reading. I found uh, a lot, one common complaint that the people have had about the movie is that this they felt like the setting and the time period in the movie was too like romanticized. That the book offered a more like bleaker portrayal of what was going on because obviously this was the 1930s, it was the height of the Great Depression, so it was a pretty depressing time, and that the movie movie kind of like glossed over a little and just romanticized it too much. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that it seemed it. They did seem as migrant in the movie as they did in the book. True. I know I was looking at this book and was surprised a little bit that it was on one of the top 100 of books that were trying to be banned or schools don't like because of the themes of racism and the theme of euthanasia, which I thought was interesting because I really didn't give it two thoughts when I was reading it or saw it with them putting the book, the the dog down, which is jarring, but you knew it was going to happen. And I, yeah, there's some schools that have advocated to not have this book read because of those themes, but I don't think that it's kind of something that should be glossed over. I think the book is reflective of the time period in which it was written. Some of the racist language, which you hear and read in the book, but kind of the, it doesn't make it right, but it's kind of the theme of the times that that wasn't necessarily something that was thought of that was wrong to say. Yeah, you know, it's certainly reflective of the times and there are any number of racial slurs uh, throw, thrown out to, throughout the book that the movie obviously was going to cut out. Cut out, But uh, yeah, it's, it's important, you know, we examine things in, in context and it's from 1937. So think of that what you will. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. The one, the conversation when Lenny goes to Melton with the, in the barn and Melton kind of want to talk, wants to talk about racism and what he's experiencing and how he's left out. But Lenny can't understand that. So I think John Steinbeck kind of hits on that. There is some, they're feeling racism, True. but no one really wants to talk about it because, well, one, Lenny can't because he can't understand that level of thinking. Yeah. But Lenny's a safe space for him to say it to because he think he knows that. Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point that Lenny can act as kind of a, a sounding board. Yeah, I think Melton knows, like, I could say this to you and it's not going to go anywhere because, one, you're not going to remember it because you're really, you're focused on the rabbits. Um, yeah. You know, in the dream of having his own animals and farm. Yeah. It's funny because um, that's what, that's one, you mentioned that about the dream, that it's kind of like uh, prevailing throughout the book. It's like, it, it almost seems like every few pages he was asking, he was asking George to tell the story again, to talk about their their dream and i think and yeah what lenny's supposed to be developmentally challenged and that really enjoys hearing the same thing over and over again that i could imagine maybe for readers that might get that might get annoying like having to hear the same thing over and over again but i think it was pretty accurate if what you yeah, I think it was effective, the repetition that you knew at the end that this was the dream, it was an aspiration, and it was kind of George knew that this is what was going to sustain Lenny and keep him focused and get him to work. But I think at the same token, George needed that too to keep driving and to keep doing what he was doing. So although it was a, a dream for Lenny to keep him going, George at the end was buying into the same thing because he wanted to be his own boss and stop migrating from place to place and working so hard and own everything. So it kind of sustained him 
him too in what they were doing for their work. But yeah, I don't, I thought the repetition of that dream works really well. And it almost reminds you of like somebody when you have to tell your child the same bed night, bedtime story every night because it's comforting. True. It kind of reminds you of like a, a Rain Man persona. Or right. Yeah. Well, one big hang up I had with the movie would have to be uh, John Malkovich's portrayal of Lenny. Oh, don't get me wrong. John Malkovich is a great actor. But and it's just kind of a, a sore point for me that I think that when someone who's developmentally challenged uh, portrayed on film, there is not exactly a rich history of Hollywood with it. There's several very cringy portray portrayals now don't get me wrong it's not this one wasn't as bad as bad as something like like sean penn and i am i am sam but still there's a lot there was a lot of things where i rolled my eyes at moments so yeah i thought john malkovich was a a little bit of a, a strange pick um for a lack of a better word but he wasn't as imposing as i think we see lenny in the book um, True. i think john malcolm's just a big guy gary sadisi i don't think is a very big guy so the, the contrast was there but yeah i think that's probably a struggles for an actor to trace somebody with a developmental disability and not become cliche or overdo it or make it stereotypical but i would wonder i wonder if it was remade today how that who would play that role because i think we've seen more people who are disabled playing roles of those who have a disability and not that I think that would portray itself well either but I wonder kind of what that would look like today as the world's evolved a little bit from the 90s um, in that atmosphere. Yeah we, we've seen great strides I know there was the old show Life Goes On that had the actor Chris Burke who actually has Down Syndrome and, and portrayed that part and I know there was the film a few years ago with Shia LaBeouf The Peanut Butter Falcon that had it too so it's been you know better strides i did wonder if it was remade today what they would they would do who they would cast and be interesting but it's an intriguing you mentioned about the um physically imposing part uh, i i just had our time believing john malkovich in that role like it like yeah there was a little the contrast with him and, and gary sinise but the book kind of describes him as this this almost mammoth of a man and very large and that uh, he's done these things and he's hurt people because he almost doesn't know his own strength and and i just had trouble believing that like i was trying to look for actors who were more physically imposing and i was thinking and he probably would have been too old for the part but i mentioned maybe someone like jack palance could have could have done it uh if it was made years earlier and jack palance from hazelton pa any pa represent <laughs> Or maybe, or someone like Brad Garrett. Now, oh, yeah. this this was before. No, this was before everybody loves Raymond, so he wasn't a no name yet. But I know he did. He did do stand up on Johnny Carson in the '80s, so uh, so he was somewhat in the industry, and I'm sure he had some roles at the time. So wasn't yeah, I mean, as big of a name on John Malkovich because he is yeah. brilliant, but. It is. You do wonder, was he physically imposing enough? And I don't even know how big John Malkovich is, but kind of historical, the 90s, I think it would be different today. The other thing I want to talk about, I didn't really think of this when I was reading about the euthanasia theme, because I really, really thought about the dog when they kill the dog um, because he's old and not and, and decrepit and smelly. But I think it's kind of lost that that's really what George does to Lenny at the end. I think a lot of people would classify that as 
euthanasia, right? Because he wanted to have him die the way he thought he should have him die or the way Lenny would want to die. Because he knew if the other men and Curly got him, it would not be it would he would not go quietly or with the vision of the rabbit farm and having someone there with him who cared for him at the end. So I think, you know, that kind of I mean, I focus a little bit on the dog and that was very ups- upsetting. But I think you could kind of carry that theme through the two what George did to Lenny because he wanted him. He knew he was going to die either way because Curly was not going to let him live after killing his wife. But I mean, it's obviously sad that he does that. But there's a way that you almost think it's a kindness because he's letting him go out the way he wanted. He he would want to with the vision he wanted to with someone he cares for than just a horrible death that Curly would probably do. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because you can imagine that Curly would do something horrible. Like probably wouldn't be a quick and painless death. Probably would have wanted to torture him first or do something just absolutely abhorrent. And so so George is given this very unenviable task. How you kill your best friend, but it's surely like it, it was the more as horrible as it sounds, the more sy- sympathetic choice. Yeah, like the more humane choice. Yeah. What did you think of the role of Curly's wife? I thought she was pretty evenly matched in the book and the movie. I think the movie, she was a little bit more sympathetic. You could see her loneliness a little bit more and know that she wanted to be involved and that Curly was a jerk, which you got from the book. But I think the movie, you saw her a little bit more. The book, I mean, I think she was just kind of a backstory character that we knew was going to result in trouble for Lenny and George. So she didn't have a lot of purpose other than to be the reason that Lenny does what he when when Lenny strokes her hair. Uh, yeah, she yeah she is like portrayed more sympathetically in the book. Like she's not in the movie. I mean, she put you could see she's kind of more frustrated with her life and frustrated with Lenny with Curly. I mean, um, but yeah, in the book she seems more like antagonistic and poking the big bear when it comes to Lenny. Yeah, she's looking for trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, the, the movie I think tried to soften her image, I guess. Was and I guess that that could be interpreted a number of different ways. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't in the book. I kind of had her created in a little bit different fashion. I had her maybe a little bit trashier. I think in the movie she's not. She doesn't look trashy. I mean, she's very attractive, but I think you could. She's very lonely, which is why she keeps coming out and trying to engage the guys. But I also think she's just trying to drive her husband crazy. And she knows it because he's just not a nice guy. Yeah. Um, and she's mad that she wasn't a superstar in a movie. So she kind of makes herself the star of the ranch. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think one thing I think the movie and the book both do well is, in my opinion, the character of Curly is that I think in both instances, they've really make him as a jerk. Yeah, he's easily unlikable. Yeah, he's a very hateable character. And both instances really, like, touch on that and make a make us identify him as the antagonist and you really want to see his comeuppance. Yeah, because for as much as Lenny has killed a mouse, a dog, a human, you're kind of still rooting for him because you know that it's not something that he's doing maliciously. It's doing because of a disability and he doesn't understand what he's doing or his strength. Uh, He feels remorse when they die, but he almost thinks it's their fault because they were too small or they were not big enough or somebody was yelling. But it's interesting because we feel more sympathy for him than we do for the mouse, the dog, 
or even Curly's wife, you know, at the end. And it might maybe because we don't see Curly's wife too much as a character. We don't have a ton of investment in her. We see her very basically in both. She's kind of doesn't have a lot of depth as a character. It kind of serves her purpose where we're invested in Lenny. Yeah, true. Like with Curly, he seems like the best way I could describe him, he's like that kind of guy you went to high school with that you do a part to avoid at your reunions. <laughs> yes, I think they all try Probably to avoid yeah. at the ranch, too. Yeah. Yeah, but I agree about his wife that she does. She kind of just has her, her purpose. Yeah. So what are your overall thoughts on the book, the movie? Any? This was a short one, and it was a little bit hard because it didn't really deviate. So, um, again, they were both good. The book, of course, I liked better. But <laughs> the movie does a good job, I think, of sticking to the book and the overall themes. Yeah, I, I felt both were pretty solid. The book I, I liked. It's not my favorite. It's not my favorite book, but it was a nice. It was a pretty easy read, which I always like. As we mentioned, it's very short. <laughs> right. But, um, in the movie I liked. I did. I mentioned some of my complaints, mostly with the John Malkovich's portrayal, but I think it was pretty well made and, and interesting. And but there's not as much to say as we had about about Jaws because the, the movie was pretty faithful to the book. Yep. Only only some differences that we have talked about here today. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think from an analysis standpoint, as students, you're probably going to get more out of the book because there are themes throughout the book. And I think that repetition of the rabbit dream is a little bit more pronounced and easier to follow than the movie. But I think the movie is a good supporting tool for the student who doesn't love to read and needs a visual. So I could see why they use this one in schools. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So listener, thank you for coming on this journey with us today of Mice and Men. We'll be back next week with another book, um, you know, kind of alternating between some classics and contemporary literature. So we appreciate you sticking with us on this journey. And thanks for listening. Yes. Th- thank you. To all you book and movie lovers out there, we love you.